Good morning, everybody. We have Victor Tiffany back on the show today. We're going to be talking about a variety of topics, but the first question I want to ask you, Victor, is how did you get so interested in trade, in trade deals and, and how um, the economy and how the U.S. imperialistic problem is um, solvable through trade? Like almost everything is solvable through trade. How did you figure out so much about trade? So before I, uh, Bernie ran for uh, president back in 2015, ever since 2010, ever since this United, Citizens United decision, when the Supreme Court gave corporations the freedom to influence our elections with, with donations, yeah. I had been involved with move to amend to help overturn that decision with a constitutional amendment. And in that role, I, I was the... Uh, columnist for the Amendment Gazette, an online publication that no longer exists. The publisher of of the Amendment Gazette wrote a piece entitled the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is Citizens United on Steroids. And I thought that was pretty hyperbolic at the time. I I just couldn't imagine a a, a free trade agreement being anything that dangerous. I I couldn't understand it. Soon after that, I got... uh, involved in a twice a month webinar on initially trans-pacific partnership alone and then broad more broadly as time went on toward free trade agreements in general so they would have experts from around the world bernie sanders was was a uh, a guest on the show at one point and he basically didn't know much about the tpp hadn't read the tpp even though it was made available to him Oh, and in fact, he, he probably couldn't understand the TPP. One thing about the Trans-Pacific Partnership is that it's written in legalese. You, you literally have to be an international law and, and trade expert to understand this 5,500-page document. It's written so that the general public cannot understand uh, what's going on. Unlike the Constitution, most people can understand the language of the Constitution, although we may debate and the Supreme Court debates over what a particular clause might mean, um, no one could really truly understand that agreement unless you have a, a degree in international law. So there was people interpreting it for us. There were experts from around the world. We had, there's a public citizen has a, a trade lawyer who comes on, came on the webinar quite often. And over the course of that, uh, about 18 month period, I came to realize that the publisher was right, that, that this, this trade agreement, if enacted, if passed through Congress, would, um, of course, outsource jobs. That's what Bernie kept talking about, more, not more than anything else, exclusively. Um, it, would over, it would abolish national self-determination. It would put an end to democratic self-government and replace it with corporate self-government. It would put an end to U.S. sovereignty. It would uh, threaten the Constitution uh, broadly. I'll explain that, but very specifically the Tenth Amendment. And it would enhance climate change. It would make climate change accelerate. You know, until, sorry, sorry, when you were talking about all those, that laundry list there, the most interesting thing to me was that conservatives these are these are concerns that conservatives would have until you got to climate change it was like you know that that always comes out when you're talking about sovereignty and you're talking about the constitution 
And and we've talked about the horseshoe idea before, where you know the left gets so far left that they kind of almost shake hands with the right, the far right people. And I hope I hope we can this this could be a thread as we're having our conversation here that conservatives and you said that you used to be a Republican, and conservatives can really understand all those points you're making, especially about national sovereignty and defending the Constitution. So MSNBC did very little to discuss this when Obama was trying to get it through Congress. And he, and he would have pushed hard had Hillary Clinton won the election. He very much wanted that to be part of his legacy, and obviously he still does. So Chris Hedges, I'm sorry, Chris Hayes had right. uh, two conservatives on his show to discuss their viewpoints on criticisms of, of the TPP. But he never had progressives on to, to explain our, our, our point of view on this. And, you know, basically, CNN never had progressive critics on to discuss this. You're not going to get uh, advanced criticism, progressive criticism of the TPP, no matter who wins. Obviously, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be put forward if, if Trump is reelected. But if Biden gets elected, He's going to push this thing. He's already said in the debates that, that he's, he's going to modify the environmental section and modify the labor section and bring it back. So that's going to be a lengthy process. And I really doubt he's going to do much except maybe change a word here and there, or else this thing's going to go into what could be his second term and it may not get done. My sense is he's going to, he's going to tweak a word here and there and try to jam this thing through because the people funding his campaign, the oligarchs want this thing. They'll benefit from this greatly, but the working class people certainly will not. You know, uh, and and the republic won't, and and and, it'll, and sovereignty will suffer. Let's get into those topics one at a time. Yeah, if you think about Trump being dangerous, people people on the left are trying to, especially Bernie. He keeps telling us that Donald Trump is the most dangerous president in history, and this this is a key point: the trade deals. If you think about Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, think about any any potential U.S. president in terms of how dangerous or not dangerous they are, the TPP may be the main concern about or, or the main indicator of who is who is dangerous. So all the lefties trying to figure out, well, should I vote for Biden to to stop the most dangerous president in, in this regard? I think it's pretty clear, at least to me, based on what I've heard from you and from others, that Biden is more dangerous in this regard than Trump is. So you, you covered uh, the uh, Euro Yankee, I think, on the 14th uh, and, and read his article. And he laid out the various reasons why Donald Trump is not the most dangerous president, that, 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 oh, that Bernie's just completely full of shit on that subject. <laughs> and, he's, and he's right, but he never mentions the CPP. It's a subject matter that he did not cover. Yeah. Uh, and and you, you, I wouldn't say it's the most dangerous element. Obviously, nuclear war between either China or Russia would be far more dangerous than implement, implementing the Trans-Pacific Partnership in the short run. And in the long run, climate change is a greater threat than the, the TPP. But I, I, the last topic of these six will be climate change. And I'm going to make the argument that implementing the Trans-Pacific Partnership and addressing climate change or having climate preservation are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. And I'll explain why right. uh, when I get to that point. 
Okay. All right. So let's do let's do offshoring. Let's talk about the concerns that we have with the TPP. What about offshoring? So that was Bernie's singular criticism of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that it would uh, allow American corporations to move jobs from the United States to uh, Malaysia, where labor is very cheap, and Vietnam, where labor is very cheap. We already know this happens from NAFTA. I don't have to explain the details of how this works. Corporations seek out the lowest possible way of doing business and moving American manufacturing jobs from the United States to Vietnam and Malaysia will fall right into place, right? For any manufacturing facility larger than, say, a, a couple of dozen, obviously, if it's small enough and you have a small operation that's very local, you're not going to make money moving to Vietnam. But most larger facilities will be outsourced, all right? But here's the thing. Complaining about uh, jobs loss under the TPP is akin to complaining to a baker about putting fewer walnuts in a brownie recipe <laughs> laced by, by arsenic. And I want to get into the arsenic, but before I do, one more point about jobs being outsourced. Embedded in that is, is structural racism. Let me explain. Okay. One of the guests of one of the webinars was the chief economist of the AFL-CIO. And he explained that when jobs are outsourced, white Americans have greater flexibility. They, they have people they know maybe in, in other cities. They can go to another city. They can get a different job and roughly have a better chance of maintaining their standard of living than black Americans. For whatever reason, they, they don't have the mobility. They, they can't easily relocate into another city. So they always end up taking a huge pay cut when they go out and find a service job that replaces their manufacturing job. So built into the TPP is structural racism. That's something that very few people understand, especially black Americans who think, yeah, we got to vote for Biden because of Donald Trump. Yeah, so because for, he was they're not voting in their interest. The, he was um, Obama's buddy, right? Biden was Obama's buddy, our first black president. And our first black president would never do anything that would promote systemic racism, right? And the people in Flint, Michigan, and the people in other places that have lost their jobs. I've never heard that point before. That's really interesting that that the TPP is embedded with systemic racism. It's subtle because who, who knew about the fact that black Americans have a harder time uh, finding, relocating to find pay that's equitable to what they had before the corporation outsourced their job. But, yeah. but again, Complaining about lost jobs is, is like uh, complaining to the baker about fewer walnuts in a recipe laced by arsenic. Let's talk yeah. about the arsenic. Yeah, the the problem that a lot with the messaging, we have a big problem with messaging, what, what people actually know about this. Obviously, that's why we started this show. But what I'm thinking about is the fact that w what we hear in the news is that white people are, in especially in the Rust Belt, have been really shafted, really harmed by Obama, by his policies, and then Trump hasn't helped them either. But we don't hear about how people of color have been harmed by by the outsourcing. So so that maybe this is the only place people will ever ever hear that point. So that's that's really worth talking about. Now we we've kind of brushed into this a little in the introduction, the idea that corporate self-government um, versus democratic self-government is a big issue. 
So what is democratic self-government? We pretty much take it for granted. We elect representatives for to, to make laws and protect the public interest or the general welfare and the other things that they're supposed to do under the Constitution uh, at the local and the state and the federal level. Right? That's democratic self-government or what's left of it. It's, <laughs> it's, more, it's more valid at the local level because corporations don't get involved with local races like they do national races. So... Out of what's left there, what we have instead with the Trans-Pacific Partnership will be secret negotiations, right? So, so this didn't happen with among 12, the representatives, trade representatives of, of the 12 countries involved. There were hundreds of, U, of representatives from the U.S.-based transnational corporations that were involved in this. And, and from Freedom of Information Act, we know that we got to look at emails going to the American trade rep and some of these emails conveyed that, that, that these corporate corporations, the CEOs and their lawyers were saying, wow, in this trade agreement, they used our language, our language, right? So the, these rules and regulations that are embedded in this 5,500 page document were written by corporations. They are writing the regulations to regulate themselves. Right. That corporate self-government. And what it's intended to do is prevent our representatives from regulating corporations based in Vietnam, based in Australia, Canada, Mexico, based in these 12 other nations operating here in the United States it won't allow our representatives to regulate them. If they come in and pollute the air, the land, the water, the abuse, the labor, whatever they do while they're here, they can't be regulated by our regulators, by our representatives of government. Democrat, a corporate self-government would come in and overrule, take over, replace, when it comes to regulating corporate behavior, democratic self-government. Yeah. That's profound. In my view, that's deeply profound and, and, and disturbing. It's but horrifying. That's what, that's what the, the, this is neoliberalism on steroids. This is not free trade of your grandfather or my grandfather. Let's talk about free trade just for a second so people can understand what it is we, I'm talking about. Because I'm not against free trade. I like low tariffs. That's, that's one of the two elements of free, free trade. Low or no tariffs. Right? It keeps prices low. It keeps it keeps competition good. It also displaces labor. You either have, you know, you can defend labor or you can defend consumer prices. And that's always a trade-off. I get that. But I tend to favor low consumer prices and, and, and low tariffs. So I'm not against free trade. That's not what these agreements are. They use free trade like a Trojan horse to impose these other elements, uh, like replacing democratic self-government. And the other element of free trade, I, I, let me just finish this, is a prohibition on governments manipulating currency, which the U.S. does and China does and other countries do. So the TPP never had any prohibition against manipulating currency because there was always pushback. Wait, you guys manipulate currency when you adjust the, you know, the quantitative easing was a manipulation of yeah. currency value. And, and there are other ways that, uh, that the government manipulates the value of the U.S. dollar. So that was never included. That, that key element of free trade was never part of the TPP. And I support that. I support both of those things. I'm not against free trade. That, that, that's an important point here. 
What I'm against is corporate governance and the replacement of our system of government that we have imparted to us by the framers and, and then, of course, amended by progressives throughout the years. That, that's what's being assaulted. So the next concern, besides the, the outsourcing of jobs and the replacement of democratic self-government, was the abolishment of national self-determination. This is something that's been guaranteed for 300 plus years by treaties, right? We don't want Canada or Russia or Japan determining the future of, of U.S. policy, right? So by treaty, national self-determination is guaranteed. But we don't have that with uh, these so-called free trade agreements. That's a horrifying part because the new world order is what what conservatives talk about, and and uh, you know all the all the nutcases talk about oh the new world order is coming, but this is this is the new world order. Biden even called it that, and so what we've got is a new world order coming where transnational corporations have no no constraints. And if you think about it, maybe that's why Reagan and Maggie Thatcher were so interested in small government. If they were secretly trying to move us toward a new world order, the best way to do that is to make a government in you know too small, too too toothless, to to keep these big corporations in check. That's that's, that's the horrifying part. That's what's replacing national self determination is is transnational corporate determination. They're the ones determining. Uh, let me just give an example. Under NAFTA, uh, we had a color country of origin labeling law that was passed by Congress and signed by the president. Right? So the American consumers could look at a piece of meat or food or whatever, and it would be labeled, right? This came from Argentina. This came from Brazil or wherever. And we knew where it came from. The U.S. government was sued by some corporation abroad, and they won that case in these corporate tribunals that are the enforcement mechanism of NASA of CAFTA, Central American Free Trade Agreement, and the TPP would be in the uh, TPP. And so we either ended up having to pay these corporations, I believe the, the fund or the amount was $10 billion that we would have had to pay them. Instead, Congress just threw the law out, right? The end of national self-determination. We don't get to determine what how our food is labeled. Corporations determine that our food is not labeled. Yeah. So that's, that's a threat to, to national self-determination and, and, and in favor of corporate determination. It's a threat to free trade. If you think about it that way, if you think mom and pop has any chance, free trade would allow mom and pop to get in there and, and compete with the big boys. But if we have monopolies, um, Matt Stoller, I, I covered this on a show not too long ago, says that monopolies and monopolists are the root cause of fascism. That that fascism is caused by this economic inequality. That so free trade. It's nothing like free trade. Monopolies are the opposite of free trade. So what we've got is not free trade. We've got monopolies, and monopolies cause fascism. And then we want to blame Trump and say, well, we Trump is a fascist. We need to vote Biden because Trump is a fascist. But if you look at the trade deals as the source of fascism which you can, you can make that argument based on what Matt Stoller says, then we need to get rid of Biden 
even more than we need to get rid of Trump if we're trying to get rid of fascism. So one of the points I argue is that we have a choice in this election, like we did last time, between a neoliberal fascist in Trump and a fascistic neoliberal in Clinton-Biden. So where is the fascistic part? You just just put your finger on it. We talked about uh, the 12 characteristics of fascism in order to compare candidates right people should do that let me sorry let me interrupt you for a second you're quoting your book and i just want to make sure people understand that you're quoting your book which is bernie or bust pioneers of electoral revolt and you say we compared neoliberal fascism to fascistic neoliberalism and i want to make everyone hearing this understand that they can find out what you're talking about in a book if they buy the book bernie or bust pioneers of electoral revolt I bought the book. I read the book. It's a great book. Sorry. Back to you. So we took those 12 characteristics from a website. I actually had to pay to reprint those in the book. <laughs> the, ninth, the ninth characteristic of fascism, and this is Donald Trump, they help preserve corporate power. That's fascism. Yeah. The Trans-Pacific Partnership greatly expands corporate power. It's a massive, historically unprecedented corporate power grab. It's the ninth characteristic of fascism on steroids. And that alone, these trade agreements alone, is what makes Biden a fascistic neoliberal. There are two wings of fascism. There's the loud, racist nationalism that you see in Trump. And then there's the quiet, subtle corporate fascism that you see in Clinton Biden and Obama. And in my view, the quiet ones are the more dangerous ones because when Trump's out there, right, in the White House, you've got a resistance movement. But when Biden, Obama, Clinton, when these Democrats, because they have a D after their name, even though they're imposing corporate rules and regulations on our entire system of government, people just sleep. People don't, you know, oh, there's a Democrat in the White House. I can relax now. I don't have to get out and protest every day. I don't have to. that's why they're more dangerous. The the democratic, the the fascistic neoliberals are more dangerous than the neoliberal fascists because people don't understand how fascistic they are. Obama is a great example of that. Obama comes in, the first black president with a D by his name, and, and he runs on hope and change, and he runs as a dove. He runs as someone who's not gonna start, you know, keep all the wars. He's, he was really, you know, as I was thinking about voting for him before the 2008 election, I was thinking, okay, he's going to bring hope and change, and he's going to bring a reduction in U.S. imperialism. And that means that we can have fewer uh, troops, we can have less military spending. This is going to be great. We're going to have a, what do we call it, um, uh, a benefit, uh, a monetary benefit from, from less war. You know, and so we were all ready to have less war and more money to spend on domestic um, items. And then, no, that didn't happen. And and so you can say because he had a D by his name, he was more dangerous than than W, W, (laughs) because he didn't have, you know, W couldn't have gotten through what Obama got through. So Obama was like a Trojan horse, if you think about it that way. There's another danger uh, from Biden that... uh the Euro Yankee didn't mention in that article the other day. Trump has not 
assassinated an American without due process. Yeah. I mean, he, Obama did. Yeah. Obama killed Anwar al-Awlaki. Now, al-Awlaki was a bad guy. He was uh, cavorting with al-Qaeda operatives in Yemen. But he, but, but he didn't have a trial. He did nothing to even pretend to go through uh, due process before executing this guy. Yeah. If Trump did that, oh my God, they'd be calling for his impeachment immediately. But Obama did do that. Yeah. And he got away with it. Yeah. And the Republicans, Mitt Romney didn't even take him to task for it. It happened in 2011. Romney could have taken him to task for it. And, and, and this is where the establishment tend to agree. The, you, you said yesterday or two days ago show that this is one party. The Republicans and the Democrats are one party working on behalf of the oligarchs. And, and this is an example where that where that's the case. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the perspective end of U.S. sovereignty, and and we've kind of started on it, and replaced by corporate-dominated tribunals. Right, so what are these tribunals? I could go on for an hour about how dangerous these things are. They don't have to rely on precedent. Every case is decided on its own merits. Uh, The judges on some of these tribunals have a double role. Some days they're defending corporate behavior, right? They're, they're lawyers for the corporations, and then they take that hat off, they put on the judges, and they sit on the tribunal as judges, yeah. right? So these things are corporate kangaroo courts, largely. Right. And just defending a case, a corporation law, assuming the U.S. government, which is we the people, costs on average $10 million. Right, just just defending it. If, if they win the case, it's still ten million dollars that we have to pay. And there's hundreds of these cases rolling through the tribunal system. So if a if a um, decision is made, there's no appeal to a higher court. That's another facet of these tribunals. If the Supreme Court disagrees with this tribunal, too bad. Yeah. These tribunals overrule. Congress, the will of the people, and the Supreme Court. They annihilate U.S. sovereignty in that way. Yeah. And, and I could go on and on about the threat posed by these tribunals, but you get the, the, the purpose of this point here about U.S. sovereignty, that's it, right? These decisions aren't overruled by the Supreme Court. They overrule the Supreme Court. They eliminate U.S. sovereignty when it comes to transnational corporations seeking endless profit. Yeah, and Chris Hayes and Rachel Maddow will never tell us this stuff. So that's why you wanted to come is just to make sure that at least somebody is talking about this because this is not in the, the mainstream at all. Crystal Ball mentioned that for a while in her discussions uh, on that show, and she admitted that trade's not her on her plate. That's not her area of interest. Foreign policy was. War and peace was more her thing. And that was more my thing, too, for years and years until I read that article about, you know, Trans-Pacific Partnership being Citizens United on crack. And if you think about all the things I've said so far, you start to get the idea of how that was the case. But I'm not even done. Like, there's other assaults on our Constitution that I haven't even mentioned yet yeah. from, the, from this agreement. So the end of national self-determination is upon us, and we don't even know it. 
and also a threat posed to the Tenth Amendment. How about that? What's what's that? Sure. About? So what is the Tenth Amendment? If any any law or any action that isn't uh, in, uh, taken by Congress, any concern, any issue, then can be dealt with by the state or the local government, right? It, it defines federalism as. Look, we're not going to deal with this. You deal with it. Some people want it. Until the Supreme Court decided gay marriage was the law of the land, that was decided at the local level. The the Tenth Amendment made that decision, so the Supreme Court made it a federal law, and then that overrode anything that the state would do. But if it's not a federal law, then the states make the determination, or the local governments make the determination on policy. With the TPP, that all those rules and regulations embedded in that 5,500-page document will apply at the federal, state, and local level. There's nothing anyone can do. So in, when it comes to uh, the regulation of corporate behavior, there is no Tenth Amendment. It, it just gets ignored because it doesn't. you can't use it. it, it this TPP would be systemic top to bottom, all the way through our multi-layered federal government, our federal system of government. Right? So it abolishes the Tenth Amendment. And there's another point. If you think about Citizens United, it gave corporations the right to donate money and, and influence the outcome of our elections, which is bad enough. Rights historically have been approved illegitimately, corporate rights, sorry, corporate rights have been approved historically through illegitimate decisions of the Supreme Court, always narrowly five to four decisions. Right. Um, but in the case of the TPP, all these corporate property rights would be imposed without the Supreme Court. It would be, it was, it's an end around of the Supreme Court and, and our whole system of government to impose, or uh, I guess that's the right word, to impose these property rights, these intellectual property rights for the corporations, they get more rights, and this time the Supreme Court's not even involved. So that's another way the TPP would be an assault on the U.S. Constitution. It eliminates the use of the Tenth Amendment, and it, it imposes co- more corporate property rights. Right. So let's wrap this up with how the TPP will actually contribute to our climate disaster. So another one of these... Uh, details in the 2500 or 5500 page document is the automatic approval of lng export facilities lng is liquid natural gas oh, LNG. Right? and what could what could be safer I'm, I'm saying sarcastically what could be more safe than a, an export facility for liquid natural gas than not having federal inspections Right, automatic approval, just build this thing and go to work, exporting gas. That's part of it. And exporting gas is not uh, compatible with climate preservation, right? It just puts more natural gas into the atmosphere, burn natural gas and methane in the process of pulling it out of the ground. And Biden has said, of course, I think you've alluded to this, that he supports fracking. I think that was two days ago you talked about that. And they decided that they're not going to stop subsidies to, to the oil and gas companies. So I don't get, you know, Noam Chomsky's big concern about stopping Trump. 
I, I agree Trump needs to be stopped, but so does Biden. Neither of these guys are going to do shit to preserve the, the climate. Right. Biden's going to talk a good talk, just like Obama talked a good talk. And what did Obama do? Build a record number of pipelines, turn U.S. into a, a net exporter of fossil fuels. This isn't good. This isn't helpful. No, and dirty a, oil. He was the biggest. He was the biggest friend of dirty oil in history. Obama, all these pipelines, it's all Obama. No wonder he allowed the water cannons to the DAPL water protectors. He didn't didn't lift a finger. All these people were getting tear gassed. Well, I don't remember all the things that were bad, but the the water protectors were getting treated like shit. Obama didn't do anything. If, If you wanted to make the case, you could say Obama water cannoned these water protectors because he is the guy that made all the the pipelines possible. He bragged right. about it. He bragged about how, right. yeah. I've seen the video. Yeah, he did. He's, and Biden's worse. Biden's not gonna be any better. No. Right? So this whole idea, oh, we gotta get Trump out of office. We gotta get Biden. Biden's not gonna do anything helpful other than, you know, talk the talk. He says that climate change is an existential threat. Well, so why are they gonna subsidize fossil fuels? Why is he pushing the TPP? Right? None, of, none of what he's actually going to do is going to coincide with what we need to address climate change. He's not going to do jack shit for climate preservation. He might throw a few billion dollars at, at uh, alternative uh, sustainable energy programs, but that's not going to cut it. It's just not enough. They, they made it very clear. We don't have time. So in this election, we're chosen between, we're cho- we have a choice between rapid extinction and not quite so rapid extinction. Yeah. And and that's where I'm trying to get a theme going at the end of all my shows, because in all the shows we're saying we have no choice. Biden and Trump, you're, you're voting for the same thing. Kate Johnstone, she said that all the wars are planned. So if, if you're a peace activist and you want peace, you're, you're not going to help yourself by voting for Biden because all the wars were planned. by. So this is where the deep state comes in. Trump actually objected to the wars that that Hillary was getting set up. She was setting up these wars and and General Wesley Clark will tell you these all these interventionary wars were planned in advance. So that's not a conspiracy theory. And so the deep state would manage to get the wars to happen in it, you know, no matter who's in charge. So all always at the end of each of my shows, I'm talking about, well, we have no choice. We can't vote for Biden. We can't vote for Trump. So what should we do? And that and I'm trying to get, you know, because it's hopeless. People, the more they hear about trade deals, the more they hear about the climate and you just combine them beautifully. The more they hear about the fact that every we're going to hell in a handbasket, no matter who's president, they want to know, well, I'm a concerned citizen. I actually care about the environment, I actually care about the working poor. I actually care about um, all of the issues that Democrats are supposedly interested in, but but I can see that they're not going to actually do anything. So what should I do? And and that's where we keep coming down to general strikes and protests and and other ways that we can flex our muscles. Because what what we're increasingly finding out is voting isn't going to do anything to help us. Right. Right, well, you can vote for the Green Party candidate, and I certainly plan on doing that. But, you know, I'm not uh, deluded enough to believe that uh, we're going to elect 
uh, Holly Hawkins because he's just not going to get he's not going to be part of the debate, right? And he's not going to be featured on CNN. CNN is disgusting, by the way. You but know what? Would... After the election, I think we should talk start focusing on the media because they are yeah, it, it, it's such a horrible situation. They, we have no fourth estate unless you follow the gray zone or or Caitlin Johnstone or stuff like that because. These people are just in bed with these corporations. They're in bed with the establishment, and the establishment is in bed with large corporations. So, yeah, I mean, we can cast we can cast a protest vote. We can vote for third party. But you're right. In the end, one of these two candidates are going to get elected. And and I realized something because in talking to my wife about this, it's very depressing when you're faced with, oh, my God, we've gotten the TPP, a fascistic, neoliberal agreement versus Trump, a neoliberal fascist, what, 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 Jesus, what the hell does that leave us? And, and, and the answer is death and destruction. Chris Hedges has it right. We're going to have to get out there, as you are indicating. We're going to have to have strikes. We're going to have to get in the streets. We're going to have to make sure that um, we basically shut down government as much as we can, shut down this pernicious form of government, and the people have to wake up to the threat posed by these neoliberal Democrats. They are not your friends. They are allied, not for not with the people, as you keep indicating in program after program, but with transnational corporations, a particular form of fascism, as we yeah. always discuss. You know, if Howie Hawkins got enough votes, if he got a plurality of the votes, say it's Howie and Biden and Trump, and how people finally wake up and say, well, how he actually reflects my values, I'm going to vote for him. And and he got it. He still wouldn't get more than half of the electoral college. And because of that, Congress could still say, no, we're, we're going to let Biden be the president. And, and they probably would. So even if how he got the most votes, he would still lose because there's no way that Cong the Congress is working for the plutocrats. There's no way they're going to let Howie win, even if he wins, just like they That's could right. keep Bernie out on the second round of the primaries because the superdelegates would wait in. Congress is just like the superdelegates. We can't even get Howie in if he got the most votes because he can't possibly get a, a, a majority. He can get a plurality, but not a majority. That's exactly the reason we were arguing against lighting in Bernie Sanders last time around. Yeah. There is an advantage to voting third party, which allows them, if they got 5%, then they, they would be ranked as a minor party, and it would benefit them structurally in, in a lot of different ways yeah. moving forward, right? And it also, when you start build, when you start advocating and building toward a progressive third party, it forces the Democrats to move in that direction, because if they, they can't win elections without the progressive base. You, you but they don't care. They don't care about winning elections. They absolutely, I mean, look at Hillary didn't even campaign in the swing states. They don't care. And Biden, we, mark my words, you're going to see him pooping out in the in some of these really crucial battleground states just the way Hillary did because they don't fucking care. So I mean, I mean, the rank and file Democrats. Well, they will end up leaning more toward progressive if they real on this whole basis of leverage that you you covered the other day. If they realize that the base is not going to support these fucking centrists, which is a euphemism for neoliberals, if they get that there's a rebellion underway against this neoliberalism of Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, 
and Joe Biden, if they realize there's, you just can't win, then the rank and file Democrats who might be inclined to think, oh, I, we can't win with a progressive. Well, you're not going to win with, with, with uh, moderates, with, with neoliberals either. So they're going to have to make changes. And, and so next time a Bernie Sanders type candidate comes along, they either have to back that guy and override the will of the elite, or they're just going to keep seeing Republicans take this country. They they don't um, actually care. The the comfy Democrats, the rank and file voters in sub- suburbs, they don't actually care about poor people. They don't want their kids to go right. to school with poor people's kids. They don't they don't actually care. But you're trying to say that they might they want to win. We know they want to win. So they might want to win enough to vote for a a progressive or a leftist. And and they they want what leftists want. They want Medicare for all. They want, you know, the the base actually does want what what Bernie Sanders was proposing, but they won't ever actually care. And and so if we push them, they'll be like, okay, all right, I guess we'll have to do it. But in a way, we're they're the enemy too. They're in the matrix. They're the people who haven't been unplugged yet. And and I can't help but feel like whatever we do to try to vote our way out of this, they're they're going to be directly in the way. And so to me, the only real answer is to take the oligarchs out of power. We know where they live. We know you know they built a, a symbolic guillotine right on the sidewalk in front of Jeff Bezos's mansion. I think that's the only way that we're ever really going to solve it because the the plutocrats tomorrow could tell Congress, "Hey, we need Medicare for all." If the plutocrats, all the donors, all the lobbyists told our politicians, "Hey, tomorrow we want this on on your desk and and signed and sealed and delivered by tomorrow, Medicare for all." It would happen by the end of the week for sure. So, so we no, don't, don't need think, to. I don't think Mitch, Mitch McConnell will allow it. I, I think he he would. I they would kill him then. The He'd rather lose his head than than uh, allow the people to have their way. Then he would. You know, we know this going back in history. The people that the deep state dislike end up dead. So if if McConnell got right. in the way, if the plutocrats suddenly came to their senses, and which will never happen, we, we'll have to take right. them out of power. That's what I'm saying. We'll have to separate the billionaires from their billions, or or it'll never happen. The, Mitchie Mitchie knows who butters his bread. I, sure. I don't I don't think you I don't think he'd get in the way. I mean he might. I mean you're you're assuming Mitch has principles. <laughs> you know, as opposed to just doing what the donors say, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, they all just jump wherever the oligarchs tell them to. They dance their dance. So I'm still I'm still saying if the oligarchs decided to do the right thing, the politicians would do the right thing on their behalf. They're just yeah. tools. They're just puppets. So we have to get the attention of the oligarchs somehow, the people. And that's what happened in the FDR era. The, the people, the, the active Communist Party, the two active Socialist Parties put enough pressure that the oligarchs were afraid. And because the oligarchs were afraid, they, they negotiated with FDR. FDR was part of the 1%. FDR didn't actually, he wasn't actually a leftist. What pushed FDR and what pushed was the oligarchs being afraid of the people. So nothing is ever going to happen. We can talk about trying to vote in another FDR, but it wouldn't help because another FDR wouldn't get it done without the pressure that was 
put on by the people. The the Civil Rights Act was was put in place because of all the riots that happened. Without all the riots, the Civil Rights Act wouldn't have happened. The people are the ones that can change it. We need to stop whining and we actually need to put pressure directly on the plutocrats. And and that's that's the only thing we'll do. And we that's what bugs me about all the other lefty pundits. They'll talk about what the Democrats should do, like Kyle Kalinske, he'll give advice. You know, you DNC insiders, all you need to do is legalize marijuana, or all you need to do is is really fight for Medicare for all, and, and you'll get all these leftists and you'll win the election, like, like they wanna win the election. So that's the biggest danger. Stop trying to win elections. Just give up on that idea, it's not gonna happen, and just start putting pressure in the streets, you know, where, where they'll feel it. Make them afraid. Make the plutocrats afraid. And then you can possibly get something done like was what happened with the New Deal. Might require something more than a symbolic guillotine. Yeah, right. It, it, and, and they all live somewhere. And, and there are enough of us, even if the National Guard's involved, even if militarized police with tanks are involved, if the people, and this is where I, I risk... You know, Facebook censors me. When I start talking about this, Facebook gives me warnings. If I type this out on Facebook, what I'm saying right now, Facebook will will pull the plug on my account. Twitter suspended my account a long time ago. I had to get a new sneaky account on Twitter. And so, yeah, you didn't hear that, FBI. So when we start talking about taking the, the oligarchs out, like we know where they live, that's a very American, you know, the idea of revolution is part of our fabric. We, we really believe that if, if we're facing tyranny and fascism, that we should revolt. But you'll know that we're in fascism because the, the powers will take my voice out. They'll make sure I don't get to keep talking. If I, if I were ever able to manage to stir up the people enough that they posed a threat to the oligarchs, they would take me out because I'm stirring up the rabble, the the proles, the the serfs. We and and if anyone ever successfully manages the narrative, that's why you said we should talk about the media, because that's the linchpin. That's the crux. If we can get to the people and and let them understand that we need a revolution and not just the bottom half of the socioeconomic ladder. What what I was talking about yesterday on yesterday's show is the new RAND study that shows how bad in, in income inequality has actually become. It's not the, the bottom half versus the oligarchs. It's the bottom 99% versus the top 1%. Everybody in the 99% has taken a big hit financially in, in the last 50 years because the 1% has figured out how to rig the system. If you get the 99% mad enough, there, there are no numbers of tanks. There are no numbers of militarized police or National Guard personnel. They're going to protect your ass. You're, well, you're going I'm down. That, that will happen at some point, but I'm afraid it's going to have to get a lot worse before it, they finally hit the streets and join people, join Black Lives Matter and start calling for economic justice and climate justice and so forth. It's, it's going to get worse. It's going to have to get worse because people don't realize just how bad it is yet. If I had a bazillion dollars, if you had a bazillion dollars, we could manage the narrative and get it to happen very quickly. You said right. it's going to have to get a lot worse before people wake up. But if we could get our message out there 
we could do counter indoctrination, it could happen very quickly. So, so the people who, who wish we could just talk to the people directly and get, I think the people would figure it out if we could just talk to them, but we're not allowed. They've, right. they've got us they've got us hamstrung we, we we can't get our message to them if if people started sharing the 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 true gospel here the prophetic word about about revolution it could it could happen but i don't i don't see it let me give you an example of how we get suppressed in 2016 when bernie or bust had built up some momentum and uh we had fifty thousand people who had taken the pledge it was covered by the Washington Times, and at that point, uh, CNN and Fox News both reached out to us for interviews. The first one I got on was with Neil Cavuto on Fox, and I compared Clinton and Trump as two fascists. Who's the lesser of two fascists? And, of course, CNN caught, caught wind of that. And my invitation to the morning show with Carol Costello was quietly revoked. They, want, they did not want Hillary Clinton described as a form of fascist on the Clinton News Network. Clinton News Network, yep. Yeah, that's that's really the, to me, that's the last bastion. We, we, if we don't want to go guillotine and pitchfork the plutocrats, then we've got to figure out how to, to get around the embargo that CNN and Fox News and MSDNC and the Washington Post and the New York Times and so forth. These are all tools of the oligarchs just as much as the politicians are. Yeah, that's where Caitlin Johnson comes in handy. She really lays out that uh, critique of, of narrative formation by the corporate media yeah. really well. Yeah. Yep, and that's where, so if people if people all started watching this show at once, if I did something outrageous enough to, to get everybody to tune in, like kind of like Alex Jones' Infowars, you know, people <laughs> actually start, he actually got, he was, so crazy and and people started to listen to him and i'm trying to figure out how to do that without without losing my credibility because some right. of the, well i mean you have to stick to the facts and the truth he doesn't bother doing that right and he's a conspiracy theorist right. and one thing i kept stressing about this 5500 page document is this isn't a conspiracy this yeah. is a real thing that's out there it's, it's you know I've, i was accused when i made presentations to the local legislature to get them to pass uh, a resolution in the Congress to uh, oppose the TPP, one of the legislators accused me of being a conspiracy theorist. There's no theory here at all. uh, This is a document that if you could read it, you'd understand that that these characteristics are are part of this whole process. And it's really frustrating because you know, if you're a county legislator, you have a certain amount of IQ, and he just wasn't uh, buying it. He, he he was basically a neoliberal. Yeah. So if we started to get traction and people started to watch our 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 media productions, then Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes would immediately come on and say we were tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. That's correct. Right. Yeah. They would push back. There would be a systematic pushback, and. The, and eventually, you know, YouTube would just take you off, right? They'd remove you. Yeah. And, and me. Well, both of us have channels, and we would just get eliminated if if we started to impact uh, public public opinion enough. Which again shows that we're not going to solve this unless we wade into the streets. Right. We need a revolution. That's that was the case in twenty sixteen. 
That's why I published Standing on the Edge of the Next American Revolution on New Year's Day 2015. I'm not a revolutionary because I want to be a revolutionary. I'm a revolutionary because we need a revolution. Otherwise, nothing's going to change significantly. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for for indulging me in that ending because I know that wasn't part of the plan. But but we we get to the end and we keep looking up in dismay and saying, "Okay, you're right, but but what do we do?" And and so that's what we're going to have to get the stomach for for the real thing here. We we can't just keep talking about it. Right. All right. One thing, uh, you know, during the pandemic, it's just a, a little tag on here in terms of getting out on the streets and, and participating in these protests and stuff. The guy testified, I think he's head of the CDC, testified yeah. to Congress yesterday. Yeah. If everyone wore masks, we'd suppress this. this uh, it's, wearing masks is more effective than the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, he said that. Yeah, yeah. that was on Twitter. So, so we can get out in the streets, just wear a mask. You don't have, this isn't a threat to our health as long as everyone wears a freaking mask. Yeah. And, you know, we can do anything we want these days. Trump, I, I explained Trump was in a no-win situation because if he pushes the economy, he's going to make the, the, the pandemic worse. And if he suppresses the pandemic, he's going to make the economy worse. But what this guy was saying is, no, you can have both. Yeah. Yeah, it's just everyone wear a mask and everyone can get back to work. Yeah, I, I'm a choir director. We have choir rehearsals and we follow the protocols. We we do social distancing and we wear masks. And even though we're singing, which is sort of like shouting on the street, even though if we didn't have masks on, it would be much more dangerous than having a quiet conversation. We're still safe. According to the data that I've read, the mask almost, it, it does. It complete, like the guy said yesterday, that it completely shuts down the aerosol spreading so if we can sing in the same room with each other even if it's a big room we can protest outside with masks on safely we don't yeah we can and, have go ahead and burn down cnn headquarters and fox news headquarters <laughs> and all of that oh you didn't say I, that I, i'm serious yeah i'm serious it's going to take some some i'm not for violence i don't believe destruction of property is violence i think it's arson Right. It's, it's a different crime. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a crime. But yeah, and I wonder how the FBI and the CIA feel about us saying that. Well, I mean, I just don't know how to. I think we're going to have to address the media again, maybe after the election and, and really focus on just how corrupt and dangerous they are to. to they're not part of the fourth estate. They're just. They're, they're partisan hacks, whether it's Fox or CNN or, or MSDNC. They're, they're just useless yep. in terms of actually informing the people. Yep. And that, that needs to be really brought out into the public domain. Okay, so next time you're on, maybe that'll be what we talk about, unless some other burning issue comes up. But you're always welcome, and it's been fun, and hope hope to see you again soon on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely.